Welcome to Private Practice Podcast, and it's not a topical show, but just to reassure the listener, um, whenever this goes out, I think coronavirus will still be relevant. I have some sparkly antibacterial hand gel. It says magic is in the air. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) That's good. Magic is in the air. Uh, Yeah. And you're Dan Brown from the Private Practice Podcast. (laughs) Thank you, James. See, you really are very aware right now. So last week we looked at what is a problem or how to identify a problem. And I've identified a problem. Mm -hmm. I thought you've probably (laughs) got a list of them as well. But um, coming out of our flow season, we talked a lot about how anyone can find flow how anyone can essentially pursue self-development or improve their life in little ways, no matter what situation they're in. And we had, we, it was quite playful at the time, but we had a lot of reaction from the listener. We did. Um, we, we definitely started the season in, with quite a flippant tone about, or at least I did, pretending to be some kind of member of the upper class, talking down to the working classes or whatever, just sort of like slipping into flippancy that I did in some episodes. But towards the end, we tried to address it and tried to go over all the reasons why anyone can experience flow. And we don't believe it's true that you are nothing but helpless in certain external situations. And we've, we used the example of people finding flow in the concentration camps, but we've, we also used slightly more everyday examples. Uh, but this still doesn't really address, uh, as far as I'm concerned, why improve yourself if the self doesn't exist? So the, the, the main question is, do you have a self to improve? And the main argument against most of what we say is that politics and economics and environment society genes all these things really control your life you're just kind of like a puppet and the strings are being pulled for you and you can imagine someone feeling depressed because they feel like everything is just rubbish whoever they voted for didn't get in they don't have the life that they wish they had they see others way more successful than them they hear about ideas of like whether it's a conspiracy theory or not just the idea that there's just this elite of people in the world who are really in control and most individual people are not in control and it's kind of leads to a lot of despondency and that can lead to a lot of depression and why bother with dan's top 10 tips to improve your mental health today what good is that going to do? You're just at the mercy of the outside world. Um, if you're poor, if you have a low social class, if you don't have an education, um, all that sort of stuff. And the, the, the whole idea of psychoanalysis and improving your mental health, flowing, all of these things kind of crumble if you do believe that you are largely helpless And really the best thing you can do is go out and just shout politically and be angry on Twitter to try and change the world for the better. That will have more of an impact in your life and society than if you just faff about with self-development. That's just the the bit of froth for people like me who have lots of time in Montpellier. And, And I've kind of proved that we're obnoxious and we talk about ourselves and go on about how wonderful we are and how wonderful our lives are. I'm not a real person. I don't know what it's like to live a real life whereby I feel mostly helpless 
And the idea of all this self-help and flowing is fine, but it's not going to make as much of a difference as being politically active. Says who? The argument against psychoanalysis. So that's one side that I've just delivered. We've always been talking very strongly on the other side, saying how important it is to pursue self-development because it not only improves your own life and your chances, but everyone around you as well. And the, the tradition of psychoanalysis believes that every individual has an ego and that therefore you have some kind of self that is you, that you can develop, hence self-development. But there, the, the science proves currently that there is no physical self. There's no special science camera that can take a picture of your head and show that your self lights up whenever you think about how wonderful you are or what your personality is or anything like that. Because there is all sorts of uh, neuroscience to map out what happens in your brain uh, according to certain stimulation and bits, different bits of your brain light up. But there is currently nothing proven to show that you have an ego. It's just a psychoanalytic idea. Um, and it kind of means that people have to believe in it and to persuade people to believe in the ego and the self and the idea that self-development is a real thing that is going to be helpful is not that much different in practice as trying to persuade people that God exists and you should be a Christian and live your life according to the Bible. It's asking someone to believe in something. Well, so you think that there's a sort of an equal split of people who believe there is no self? I don't think it's anywhere and... near as common as, as discussion about God. So what you're saying in essence with no references is... Well, I have lots of references. Nietzsche, Sam Harris, Julian Bagani, um, Freud and Carl Jung to okay. start with. So, Well then, which of those is saying what about what? Well, I don't want to look at Carl Jung specifically in this episode because I want to come to that okay, later. Cool. So lost one reference. Lost one. <laughs> Nietzsche, for example, says the idea of... A self-willing ego is a myth. It's more accurate to speak of a combination of sensation, emotion and thinking. And it's easy to imagine how all of that is influenced by the outside world. Um, whereas Freud uh, talks about the id, the ego and the superego as if they exist. Also, um, lots of popular... Okay, okay. So, so, how could I put it? So... Freud is seeing the id, the ego, and the superego, this important triad of internal voices and drives and motivation as being as definite as the hippocampus or the frontal lobe, an actual part of the brain which then is projected out through the mouth and the body as the self. Yes. You think. And that is, according to what we can say about science, wrong. Okay, so, well, yeah, from what we know right now, there is no identified glowing, flashing spot that is the self when you do a... 
brain's as, a scam. As much as people probably think I believe there is one inside myself. Uh-huh. And then Nietzsche said that, or suggested that, the self as we see it is actually a combination of, what was it, sorry, ideas, language? What, give me well, those all thoughts, emotions, sensations... Yeah, but well, what do you think the self is then? I don't want to just say it. You don't. You, you don't want to. Ru- you don't want to ruin your punchline. Absolutely not. Why would I do that? Blimey! That's the question. That's the problem with this episode. Do you exist as a self? I mean, this to me is just as as futile a question as your your comment about there being a no free will. Well, okay. So one of the, one of the... to me, I'm not saying you know globally. I just mean to me. I'm like, what the. F- are you talking about <laughs> by coincidence yesterday i finally got around to actually reading the book on free will that i didn't read when we had the argument we, we basically had uh, an argument about choice and it was uninformed on both sides excuse me and you were saying that i was talking rubbish because i was saying that we make choices all the time and how can you talk about personal development if you're saying you're just a puppet the strings are being pulled you have no free will yep. you're nothing so how is that uninformed it's not. Thank it's an you. argument. Thank it's you. an argument for choice. Thank you. But it doesn't. Mean I'm that, pro-choice. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that you have free will, and it, and the lack of free will is not a catastrophe. That's the whole point of Sam Harris's book of free will to say that it doesn't impact on the social, uh, the, not the social, the justice system. Like a criminal can still be locked up. You don't have to say, well. He's just a puppet to the strings. You know, the greater forces made him rape. He was he had no responsibility for for that. And the the book argues that yes, he is unlucky, an unlucky uh, victim of genes and circumstance and all the rest of it. But it also argues that that human beings are more than just being the puppets, the puppets of a puppet master, because you do make choices all the time. You do pay attention to your thoughts and your emotions in consciousness and you consider them and the main thing is that you make choices that are consequential if you could not make consequential choices which is your argument that we all make consequential choices Mm -hmm. then that really would probably lead to total nihilism and what's the point we're all just robots who cares forget to switch the podcast off just lie in bed and stare at the ceiling because you're just... Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, in effect, is you, James Hall, were wrong. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was wrong for having the argument before I read the book. <laughs> mm. So we have choice. Do you want, just... No, 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 no. no. Okay. I'm just asking you. Okay, yeah. We have choice, do we? Yes. We do. So tonight, for example, I could choose what it is that I'm going to eat from the limit of options that we have. And although it's more likely that, yes, I will order a burger and chips or a Chinese takeaway because those top 10 choices are most easily accessible to me. I do, as an individual, and we'll find out whether there's a self behind it, I do, as an individual, have choice and therefore freedom if not pure free will. Absolutely not, but yeah. Absolutely not. Not pure free will. But you, you have choice, but the most important thing is not really the choice, because I certainly Oh, don't... now it's not the most important well, thing, well, even though three weeks it... ago you were like, no, we do not have free will because you can't choose what you're going to eat tonight. Sorry, the, the most important thing 
from my point of view, is not your choice because I don't care. Maybe I care tonight what you have for dinner, but I don't care what you had for dinner seven years ago when you made a choice. But, um, what, but it's the fact that it's consequential. So your whatever you choose to eat, even if you don't have complete free will to make that choice because you have genes, you have only the thoughts that pop into your head. You don't know your thoughts before you're going to have them. You suddenly think, I feel like a burger, and you didn't create that thought from anything. It just pops into your head, and you have the ability to choose. Shall I have a burger? Oh, I'm on a diet. Maybe I won't. No, I think it's all right. I will. You have that choice, and it has consequence. So it's not particularly interesting, the burger. No one really cares what you have for dinner tonight. But if you look at morals, Mm. whereby you're faced with a choice of... uh, do I, um, I don't know, break the no human contact ban that's currently in effect? In order to save that little old lady who's about to get knocked over by the lorry on the street, do I run and save her? And then it turns out that I not only give her coronavirus and she dies anyway, but she passes it on to her whole family. Let's just say worse, actually. Much worse would be if she gave me coronavirus. Okay. Okay. And I took it to the hospital and gave it to everyone I come into contact with because I sneeze a lot. So you choose whether to save her or not and your choice has consequence. And that means that how can you just be the puppet of a Mm. bigger cosmos? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you agree with me. But what you're saying is that we don't have freedom to choose all of the consequences of the actions that we have chosen. Oh, well, no, no, no. You, you can't choose all the consequences of everything. Well, no, so, so, what, so why don't we have free... Exactly. So why do, why do we not have free will, you know, light? Well, because you don't choose the thoughts coming into your head. You just have them. That's the whole point of meditation. You're supposed to pay attention to thoughts popping into your head and disappearing. Emotions that come out of that. So when you just suddenly inexplicably feel angry, you didn't choose <laughs> to feel angry, did you? Okay, okay, okay. No, no, of course not. We are we are part human animal machine. You know, we are our heart does something, our brain does something, our all of our senses do something. They take in information, they unconsciously digest it and process it, and something pops up into our conscious mind to enable us to either react to, consider, or um, allow to leave. And the whole point of that is that we are, as humans, more complex than, for example, the private practice cat, who is quite complex compared with a single cell organism, but not as complex as me. Just, um, just Kitty, just to clarify. Kitty, do you want to say anything on that matter? Nope, she doesn't. She's too stupid. So <laughs> the the whole point of humans being social animals is that we have to identify the difference between ourself and other people and we have to function with all the different like you don't consciously make your lungs breathe and your heart beat and your digestive system produce whatever it feels like today you <laughs> you have that is the consequence of what you choose to have for dinner but the the most important things are that your your choices are consequential um, you didn't choose your genes. You didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your you didn't choose your parents. And the night that they, you don't want me to go any further with that. I know that no. you didn't choose the moment of your creation mm-hmm. that we're aware of. 
Um, you don't really determine your needs and wants. They pop into consciousness. Um, yes, but... Okay, now, firstly, I do just want to point out that I put a little cross beside free will and a little cross beside choice because I don't think we got anywhere near clarification of that for our listener. So we're going to have to come back to that another time. Well, you can just read Sam Harris's book. It's only... I don't want uh, to just read Sam okay. Harris's book. This is about me okay. as an individual and what I think and feel from what I already know through reading other books. Okay. Lovely. And my experiences. Um, but uh, not to disregard Sam Harris. I'm sure I'll blink list it sometime and get the top 10 points of Sam Harris's. But you don't even need to do that. It's only 66 pages on the actual topic and it's very widely spaced and quite a big type size so i read the whole thing yesterday okay cool well so, so there's that right so but I, I i feel like you're not accepting that you were wrong i was wrong to not read the book and just to shout incoherently without really understanding what i was talking about how is that not accepting that i was wrong it's not about the book it's about you you you, you vehemently if that be a word denying that we have choice to choose what we're having for dinner. I don't. You have choice to choose what you have for dinner. But and that's you, it. I, I denied did. that deni- last time. Yes. I, did, I was wrong about that. Thank yes. you. Okay. Thank you. That's why it was a useless argument, because we, were, we weren't arguing about free will. We were arguing about choice. I was saying you don't have choice. You were saying you do have choice, and therefore I was the idiot for saying you don't have choice. Yes, that is right. You were the idiot for saying that we don't have choice. Okay. Now, something I just want to pick you up on something, because today you've been doing that a lot. You've been using the term we rather than I, because, and I mean, by I, I mean you. Okay. You've been saying, we did this, we did that, we took this stance. No, we didn't. And I'm wondering whether you haven't noticed that I and you are individuals who think and feel and believe different things. And the podcast is a vehicle for us to argue them. Yes, absolutely. I have nothing to disagree about that statement. Excellent. So that brings us back on to the topic of the self quite nicely. Yes. So in short, the, t- the two conflicting arguments of do you, you don't have a self, so what's the point in self-development versus as a human being, a social animal who can conceptualise the future and remember the past and therefore you're more complicated than any other living organism... Of course, you can develop yourself and make choices that are consequential in your life, which is why if you get despondent about the fact that the world is not going your way and there's nothing you can do about it, something nicer than this, you're wrong. Yeah. Can you say it nicer than that? Well... <laughs> <laughs> no, let's let's move on. Let's carry on. Um, I, I think one of the things that I'm instantly getting a a sense about, a feeling about, is that you're seeing this as as um, black and white. You're seeing this as one or the other. You're seeing either we have the self, we have a self, each of us individuals, a self that is a definite, concrete, substantial thing an actual literal self or we don't well that's how that's i think that's the mistake that i have made on the podcast i have been beating the drum for saying that the idea that we're all just puppets to the environment is rubbish 
and self-development and psychoanalysis is divine and you should think my way. And it's because I so strongly disagreed with the equally extreme counter-argument that psychoanalysis is just or improving your mental health self-development flow is just a bit of fluff for luxury people who have the time and the money to indulge in it even if you can flow in a concentration camp what good is it going to do the real good is to get rid of the fascist regime not to sit in the concentration camp flowing so the whole idea that we tell people that you should try and improve your life with these ideas is pointless because the real thing that changes your life and everyone's life is real political social change get out there vote do all that sort of stuff sitting around introspecting is a waste of time that extreme opposite argument i've always found so unbelievably wrong that i have always just shouted at it no wrong 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 and given that i don't given that i believe from across psychoanalytic and philosophical and whatever stuff you read the idea that humans are social animals they interact with each other the all the ideas of transference counter-transference um these kinds of things show that human beings do reflect the people and the society around them plus the whole idea that your genes are so crucial and you don't have any choice in that this idea that you're just some divine self and on top of that the science that you don't actually have a self it all leads to the argument of you're just reflecting society and yet uh, i still think that's wrong uh, i still think it's wrong oh why do you still think it's wrong because i believe that if you are consequential if you can make choices i don't even need to be so theoretical about this i went and had a great year last year improving my life being very introspective and doing all the flow stuff and it had consequential positive effect on my life and I've really enjoyed the benefits of it so obviously I believe in it through experience not just from reading books so there is clearly the truth is in the middle the truth is not in saying yes you are a sovereign individual and you should introspect to the last day it's more important than anything else and all these people saying you're just a puppet to society are wrong 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 it's pointless banging that drum because that's only it's that's only partially true any it's the extreme right hand side of the of the of the view and it's as pointless i think as the extreme left hand side that i just outlined and disagreed with so wait when you say you're a puppet to society. What, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that you, for example, Dan Brown, your chances of being Chancellor of the Exchequer in the next government mm. are pretty low. Oh. <laughs> uh, your chances of... Is it because I haven't got huge ears? Actually, I don't, want, I don't want to come up with these ideas. You're much better at this. Think of conspiracies that control your life that, or su- supposed conspiracies. I'm frightened to say it, but we're talking about the Illuminati because that's the overall general consensus that the powerful, mysterious, cloak-and-dagger, um, Machiavellian elite, who, by the way, as a fact, are paedophile vampires, mostly, of course, of banking families going back hundreds and hundreds of years... Um, of pure bloodline, um, are controlling us via 
financial, social, um, economic um, uh, world play, playing with us as nations, not just as individuals, playing with us as, as the gods once played with humans in the Greek stories. Now, I'm glad you said that, because while I don't believe in that factually for a minute, it is a perfect metaphor. And humans understand things through stories. And you have created an evil villain character there, the ultimate evil villain character that fully represents all of the outside world that is out of your control. So it doesn't matter if they're real <laughs> blood-sucking pedo vampires or whatever you just said. The fact is that even if it's just a landlord who is really unfair, it is something in the outside world that is out of your control and makes you feel helpless, makes you feel like that puppet and the strings are being pulled. And what is the point in introspection because you're just having these strings pulled, you're fighting against a bigger tide, therefore be despondent, therefore don't bother with anything, just have an, open another drink. Okay, well that is to say that the puppet master is completely in control of us. And I'm saying that they're not. I agree with you, they're not. But they are, if we put the puppet master as the name of all external forces, okay, that are influencing how we behave, what we think, how we feel, our quality of life, our abilities, our opportunities. Firstly, it isn't, it can't ever possibly be one puppet master. Yeah. It couldn't possibly be. I mean, unless, of course, you fully subscribe to the idea of a all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. Um, unless we're talking on this kind of insane cellular level, which I probably will never understand. So let's not go to that. That is for those that have much greater intelligence than I have. But I would like to say that I'm not a militant atheist. Mm. I understand mm -hmm. the value. I understand why people have religion. I understand that it can give you that flow activity. It can give you moral guidance. It can take away anxiety. It can bring communities together. It can do all sorts of it can do as much good as evil, even if it starts wars and creates genital mutilation and all the rest of it. I, I understand the, idea, the enduring idea of these um, stories being passed through the ages and that they all contain truth. It's just because to say, I, I would say God doesn't exist, but that doesn't mean that there is zero truth in the Bible or any other religious text because there are many, many pages and there are many not very controversial things in them that I would agree with. Also, you got muddled there because you, if you're talking about religion, you're not talking about God as this, you know, God is contained within the ideas of religion, but that's they're two completely separate things. So um, just to slightly backtrack then, there is no one puppet master that controls everything, our environment, our finances, our opportunities, our physical health, our mental health. There are many influences. So to say that we are but a puppet, in essence, is definitely wrong. But we're certainly pushed and pulled. Opinion. Pushed and pulled by our genes, by the weather, by the economic environment, by what laws govern the country where we live and all that sort of thing. You don't just have the choice to go out and rape and murder someone without potentially being punished and put into prison for it it's not that's you don't have that freedom and forget free will it's just you don't have that freedom you are bound by law you don't 
have the ability to go against the the laws of physics or anything like that um and you and like we like i said earlier on you don't choose what thoughts come into your mind you don't choose when you just suddenly become angry and you think why am i you like you see something that reminds you of a person you don't like and suddenly in your head you go through all the reasons why you don't like them and then you're angry wait 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 yes exactly you can choose to become angry or you can choose to remain calm but you can't choose necessarily what thoughts and feelings arise in you but you can choose how you react to them absolutely and it's vitally important that you do and that's the whole point of this podcast boom yes it is james six seasons in well done (laughs) i do feel like finally six seasons in i've got a good answer to this because i think we've kind of tiptoed around this and i've talked some rubbish before (laughs) but i guess what i'm saying is i am objecting your honor to the use of the phrase we are but puppets okay i object to the idea that we are but puppets Good, good. So it would make more sense to say there are a whole host of uncontrollable external influences that when bashed together or when arise together or uh, over a a period of time, like weather, create a certain condition inside us that leads to either positive or, or helps lead to either positive or internally critical or internally negative mental landscape yeah it also really helps not be so obnoxious as a person (laughs) if you don't believe that you have some kind of divine important self that (laughs) not only was uh created by the the perfect creator of the universe but will if you're that way inclined will live on after death if you believe in heaven hell or reincarnation or whatever if you have that sense of or even if you just believe in energy and energy and matter which can neither be created nor destroyed yeah but the energy and matter has to come together in specific ways to create the organism that is a human yes i mean just just because your atoms go off and become cat food or whatever in the future doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that dan brown lives on and is eaten by a cat other than your atoms your random atoms live on and are eaten by a cat at some point in the but future we don't know that the 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 map of who we are if we be a self is not contained in every single element that make us up once we have become the human that we are and once we disintegrate into dust and ash and elements who knows perhaps there's been some influence of who we are on those elements you've just perfectly stepped into the next vitally important thing Woo-hoo! <laughs> so what we're looking at is that we just have to accept that there is no known self it's not true to say the self doesn't exist because i would have to go into a brain and i would have to have the divine knowledge that the self doesn't exist but it is true to say that no one in science today knows of a scientific self that is a physical thing that you can take a picture of with a special science camera um (laughs) (laughs) or i point my science reader at your head and it goes yes dan brown is in there yes there is a self in there i've read it on my 100% reliable science reader of ego yeah yeah good good. we know that that is not known at least we know that isn't a known unknown at the moment so without that self what happens if for example someone has some kind of brain damage 
we know of examples whereby people lose the function of some aspect of their brain, but in lots of cases, people still regain some semblance of self. Um, they might forget things, they might be confused, they might forget who people are in their life, and all this, 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 this. You can lose a part of your brain and still retain an idea of who, your identity. So it's not like you're just born again as a totally new person. You can still have some semblance of who you are. And that is the strength of a brain that is a series of inter interactions. Because think of the alternative. If you did have a self, imagine if there was that tiny little pea in the middle of your brain that is your glorious self that lights up and goes beep, 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 beep on the egoometer. Mm -hmm. Um and then you have a car accident and that bit of your brain is broken. That's it, kaput, Dan Brown over. Whereas if you have a, an accident and, a, and bits of your brain are broken, maybe you can no longer walk because the bit of your brain that controls your legs doesn't mm -hmm. work anymore. You still have an idea of yourself because the self is the combination of all the functioning parts. You would be a weaker organism if you had a self that could be damaged well you you don't you have never heard of an acquired brain injury where there is such marked personality change that the relatives and friends say that's not the old james that is the result of substantial brain damage like if i point... yes so but you're saying there is no self within the brain yet i'm Correct. saying the self that people reckon so so okay what what is a self what is an what is a self I, I can respond exactly to that example you just said someone has severe brain damage and all their family and friends think they're not the same person anymore that exists i'm not denying that that is just extreme brain damage and imagine if i bludgeoned your brain or shot it with a kalashnikov a hundred times just because it doesn't contain a self doesn't mean that that gunge dripping down the wall is still going to have an idea of Dan Brown, the enduring self, because it's such a strong collection of things that even if you bludgeon it, even if you nuke it out of the skull, uh, the, the, the enduring selfness continues because it doesn't exist. It's just a collection of things. If all the collection of things disappear... It no longer exists. But the the easy... So you're saying that the self is a collection of things. Absolutely. It does not exist. But in in being a collection of things, we label that as self. And the even easier metaphor that the philosopher Julian, the contemporary philosopher Julian Baggini uses is the internet. Would you deny the existence of the internet? Well, this <laughs> week... The internet's been slow. <laughs> no, I would not deny the existence of the internet. And it's not very common. Even Probably even your friend Tom wouldn't deny the existence of the internet and say it's just a, an idea planted in our heads to control us by the Illuminati. Maybe Tom, he would say that. Tom, if you are listening, I've never suggested you would have said that, but I agree, I agree he wouldn't say that. So um, the internet isn't a server. There are servers all over the place and it is an infinitely expanding collection of information that anyone can add to and so on. It, there is no internet self that you can pick up and touch. No, the internet is greater than the sum of its parts. And also think of an organisation, just a group of people. 
the we, we don't believe that the organization doesn't exist just because you can't hold it if think of a family think of the the brown family you, there isn't a central core that is the existence of the brown family it's all the different people and as members of the brown community die the family still exists it, you've just lost a an older relative if you were all murdered then the family would no longer exist just like if your brain is subject to so much damage that your friends and family say you're not the same person anymore then sure you your your the, the, your personality whatever it was that was yourself before no longer exists but if one member of a family dies the family still exists just without that person and it changes and that death is consequential the family is not the same again they mourn they remember the person they change their behavior maybe they are influenced by that person's life in ways that they couldn't see when they were alive because they found them too irritating so you're saying that the family is a self as well the family has an identity just like an individual has an identity and so you're saying that the self is a ethereal, non. Uh, this is too lofty. It's not too lofty. I'm saying you can just distinguish the Brown family from the Hall family, like you can distinguish Dan Brown from James Hall. Therefore, there is something that is you, and there is something that is me. But when damaged, the family, as with the individual, changes, and the self becomes something different. Yeah, so if you lose one member of a family, the family still exists but changes slightly. Just like if you have an accident and you lose the part of your brain that controls your legs, you're in a wheelchair. So you change, but you can still have an, the same idea of yourself being the same person you were before the accident. But if in that accident you're bludgeoned off the face of the earth, um, you don't continue to exist. Either you have so much brain damage that no one recognises you as the same person anymore, or you die. I'm not following you, but okay, we'll carry on. Well, what, um, if you, I think the car accident is quite good because if you if the car accident is so mild that you don't have you don't suffer any brain damage or trauma, you literally just knock a wheelie bin and think, oh, I'm glad that wasn't a person, and then you go about your day without any suffering brain damage or trauma or anything like mm -hmm. that. Yourself remains almost identically the same you're you're so the change to who you are is so minute from the consequence of that action that you don't even think about it and no one even notices or cares you just don't want to give your ps to resistance and tell us what the self is according to james hall it's just a collection of all the functions of your brain all the thoughts all the feelings all the sensations all the genes all the influence of the society it is both something that you have consequential control over and it is something that you don't have any choice in like your race your parents your gender and so on or at least your given birth gender what i talk about sex change operations gender reassignment yeah, I'm not talking about that. It's not the 80s anymore, Jack. <laughs> yes, okay. When I say I'm not talking about it, <laughs> I don't mean we're not introducing that kind of... Can of worms. Can of worms. No, no, no. I just mean that when I say you don't choose your gender, I mean your birth gender. Okay. Okay, so 
Isn't this episode about whether the self exists, though? Is so, that, yeah, so the self does we... exist in the same way the internet exists. You don't need to find the little P in your brain that lights up with the egoometer. You don't need to think, well, there's no... Science proves that... Or science has not found that physical self, uh, whereas it's proven that I react to my environment and I seemingly have no control over this crazy world with Trump and coronavirus and Brexit and poverty and billionaires in the 1% and rapists, paedophiles, mass murderers. The world doesn't make sense. Climate change, all these incomprehensible things massively affecting my life i have no control over them what use is what use is it to sit around meditating doing yoga flowing introspecting doing cbt i am just a puppet to environmental climate change to donald trump being my president or whoever is your leader of your nation i didn't choose my genes my parents did i just blame them for everything i have i take no responsibility i simply think that that argument is so wrong that uh, i i still think it is as wrong as ever but i'm not saying that you are not the you are not the product of all of those things and in the past i've made the mistake of not fully recognizing that of course people are the product of their laws, their genes, the environment, etc. It's just that the thing over which you have control, where you have choice, is your self, the, or the, the illusion of yourself, which very much exists. Just because science hasn't found it as a physical thing, you are, your self is no less real than the internet is real. And that is a very strong reason as to why you shouldn't be nihilistic and give up and say that nothing is, I'm not responsible for anything, it's my parents and the environment and the world. You do have personal responsibility to make your life the best it can be. And if you are, if you are born into a very poor family and you are the race that is not considered the dominant one, you're the gender that is not considered at the top of the hierarchy, my suggestion is instead of thinking the only way I can be happy is to topple these hierarchies and fight for socialism and all the, uh, the political representatives who want to try and take this on and create a more equal, fair, just world, that, as I see it, the consequence of that, sure, it, there'll be some good consequences of that, but as an individual pursuit it can lead you to losing responsibility for your own mental health because you blame the outside world for everything that happens to you. And it can, in the extreme, totally deny the fact that the self exists if you just believe that you're a puppet to racism, environmental change, the so-called patriarchy that's not to say that there isn't evidence that straight white men have had powerful positions through the years and there are many of them that don't want to give them up to young black lesbians from a poor neighborhood but that doesn't mean that your only chance of making your life the best it can be is out of your hands and in the hands of people with power and the only thing you can do is either get that political power or vote and until then be angry you can 
whatever your circumstances, make your life the best it can be with the responsibility of making choices that help you have a much better life. Flow, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... And you feel better when you're doing it yourself. If you're just saying, ah, oh, it's nothing, everything is out of my control. I wasn't, I didn't choose to be born. I didn't choose all this crazy world that doesn't make sense and is making my life miserable. That is a negative emotion that takes over your internal dialogue that gives you anxiety because you don't understand the world. Um, it's at odds with what you, with your hopes and dreams. You have uh, aspirations. They don't come true. You are let down. Not paying attention to the way that these negative thoughts are popping into your mind out of your control and you're obsessing over them. Your inner dialogue is just relentlessly negative. If, well, the main advantage of mindfulness is, or meditation as I see it is to take control of consciousness so that you are not at the mercy of all this negative, destructive inner monologue in your, in your head. In essence, this episode, your message is about using whatever techniques to develop a positive internal mental state enables you to become happier and more productive well also when we have kind of lighter episodes where we talk about how nice it is to walk and how great it feels it's not just a bit of fluff that's often the accusatory argument that it's not important because what's really important is politics and sociology and economics and climate change rather um all of these, all, all of the, all the, all the lighter episodes that we've had before and will have again, make sense if you acknowledge that the only thing you have control over is your consciousness, and therefore the most important thing for living a good life for yourself is to control that consciousness and make consequential decisions, rather than being at the mercy of all those thoughts that just pop into your head, and that that is not just a purely selfish kind of Thatcherite individualistic selfish bastard point of view because the more you do that if everyone in society does that if everyone improves their life improves their mental health improves their relationships romantic social work through improving their mental health the whole of society benefits with much quicker and more effective results than some kind of totalitarian communist regime that aims to spread wealth and make society fair or a more realistic social justice agenda? Well, obviously, not obviously. I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, exploring your own internal world enables you to um, communicate better, to get your own needs met to help others to connect with others which leads for a more pleasant immediate environment and i also believe in the ripples in the pond theory when it comes to human behavior you know the more constructive kind considerate calm loving and peaceful actions that are taken the the the, the more that influences those around you and you know it ends up in a big old loving it eliminates a lot of passive aggression or not even passive it eliminates a lot of aggression 
Mm-hmm. Do you need a better reason than that? <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, the, the fact that it enables you to be, you know, if, what we're talking about, of course, practically is, you know, you, you said to me earlier, you keep using the term psychoanalysis and you're using it wrong because you really mean uh, positive mental development. You mean um, working on the internal world to influence your external world. It can be anything from Fern Cotton's self-help book right through to a lifetime of intense psychoanalytic introspection with a, an accredited Jungian analyst, for example. Yes, five times a week. <laughs> yeah. At full price. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but what, what we're talking about in this podcast, however vaguely or or specifically, and it's, it's very varied, is is working with your own mind to affect more positive changes to your life and of others, to live a more contented existence, to um, be more aware of emotions as they arise in you, to recognise the external influences and build internal resilience to be able to manage the consequence of those external influences that we have mentioned on multiple occasions this evening. The Donald Trumps or Jeremy Corbyn's or coronavirus or uh, poverty or losing your job or losing your house as well as you know family and friends and relationships. That is what this podcast is about. It's about uh, looking inside to try and affect positively or constructively, however you want to put it, the outside. And we do deliberately mix these big ideas with lighter bits of pop psychology, 10 ways to improve your mental health today. But I think the, the bigger ideas are important for motivating and demonstrating the consequence of the little bits of fluff. Because if you just present... Uh, a nice activity whereby walking around the park will improve your mental health today. No one who is depressed because they feel like they are out of control is going to actually do be motivated to do that because we say that it'll make them feel a, a little bit better unless they explore this bigger idea of why it's so important. Yeah, and the, your internal world can change and that change can be dramatic and your internal world is malleable and it is not rigid unless we choose to be rigid and i'm using the word choose a bit cautiously there unless we believe that we have no choice other than to be rigid remember when i got the um guitar out and we sang uh, flow is a verb flow is a doing word yeah that was great that is absolutely true for what we're saying because if you resign yourself to doing nothing in terms of introspection at all or in terms of self-development you are just at the mercy of the thoughts that are completely out of your control you are just at the mercy of that anger that pops into your head without you choosing it and if you just hang around waiting or if yeah if you if you don't make the effort then in flow, Mikli Chitz Mikli talks about psychic entropy. You're overwhelmingly more likely to have a negative experience in consciousness, which in less intellectual words means having a bad day. If you just let things happen, if you take control of your mind, which in less intellectual 
uh, ways is stuff like meditating or any of the kind of self-help advice that just makes a small difference. If you do that, then you take control over your experience of your life. There's a book that is really irritating <laughs> to read, the writing style, it's called Anti-Fragile, but it makes, it's a, it's a really lovely idea. The idea that fragility, uh, if, you're, if you are fragile and you are at the mercy of the Illuminati, vampire, blood-sucking, pedo, people who control the world, whoever you believe that enemy to be, then you are completely out of control um, of your emotions. You just you are allowing that psychic entropy as it's called that having a bad day to happen whereas if you take control of consciousness you are you're not just robust which just means like having a stiff upper lip and getting through and seeing the day through so the one on the one side there's someone fragile who gets depressed who has a bad day who cries who experiences a lot of negative emotion um etc then in the middle, you've got someone robust with a stiff upper lip who gets through it and claims they don't need a therapist because, you know, they're made of strong stuff. That is not the opposite of being fragile. That is being robust. That is just being boring, in my words. The opposite is anti-fragile, which is actively taking control of consciousness. So recognizing when you have negative thoughts, recognizing that you didn't choose to have the thoughts and that they just go away naturally and that you don't need to have that constant negative internal monologue that creates negative emotions that if escalate lead to anger and massively negative consequences in your life relentlessly. If you take control, you are anti-fragile. You're not just robust. You don't just have a... a, a steel uh, personality you're not just strong you are actively doing something flow is a doing word mm -hmm. okay well i think i'd like to compare and i'm i'm guessing our listener who who is a huge fan of my irreverent pop psychological metaphorical speak um, would enjoy this but I, I, I think that the mind and our mental health is very similar to a prism or a, or, or a diamond something that has been affected and influenced by external pressures and, and twisted into a shape and then all of the stimulus all of the experiences all of the all of the puppetry that goes on around us all of the different ways that we are influenced and controlled is how this this mind is shaped and 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 then the way that our mind is shaped is the way that our our self is is sort of shines through and refracts and actually what we're saying in essence is that although you perhaps cannot change all of that the self you can't change the shape of the the compressed rock the prism you can't but you can use positive or, or constructive psychological interventions to to place or twist or move that prism and that is a way in which the things that are inside the, the, the um you are controlling the way that it leaves you you're controlling the way that you communicate you're controlling the way that you connect without ever having to control fully what's going on externally you just uh subtly and and carefully and with time and with care and with knowledge you're 
you're moving, you're, you're manipulating what it is inside you that's creating everything that's happening in your life. And what we can do as a podcast is put these ideas into someone's mind as enthusiastically and be as informed as we can be. Because I like, for example, I was not just born introspecting. I lived my life with a lot of anxiety and confusion of why the outside world didn't make sense and why my hopes and dreams were increasingly unlikely to come true and got very despondent and was had lots of low periods in my late teens and early 20s. And then I met you and you put ideas in my head that would never have come naturally about... Um, not just the not just the autism, but all kinds of ideas of mental health that you have studied to become a mental health nurse. You actively studied them, therefore they're in your head. I didn't actively study them. They were not in my head until I met you. But more than that, I didn't just sit and listen to you and think, oh, that's nice. The fact that you were so, the fact that you were so helpful to me and so enthusiastic about it and so honest and and it was really compelling because. You were the only person who could accurately understand things going on in my brain and present it in a uh, piss-takey way that was essentially mocking me, but that not only had enough truth to make me laugh, but the fact I was laughing made me slightly in awe of the fact that you could do that. That compelled me to think there's something in this. It wasn't just the fact that I'm just totally self-obsessed and selfish that I think I have to pursue psychoanalysis because it's the only thing that focuses on me, me, me. It was the, the, the fact that there was something in all this, um, all these ideas and the, the book, Yalom's uh, Love. Love's Execution. Eh? Yeah. That was another thing that just opened doors to me making the effort to go and read other books because it it was just that was the initiating incident, and I have just become more and more interested and I'm reading more and more into it uh, because I find it really interesting and compelling. Um, but it didn't happen naturally. I had to meet you and I had to choose to read the books. You didn't force. You didn't sit me down with a gun to my head and say, "Read this, you awful obnoxious twat." <laughs> <laughs> which may have been a faster way to but a much less effective way i think <laughs> yeah potentially so well it's um yeah i i think we have managed to get to that point where i want to ask you to summarize i know you love asking me to summarize take us through the final gateway of our episode Think of that blood-sucking pedo-vampire rapist. It's the comedy villain that represents everything that is out of your control and scary and makes you feel helpless and anxious and confused and all the other things that get on top of your mental health. That is very much out of your control and in, in, informs your life. But imagine what you have at your disposal to make the best of your life obviously the um the, the vampire pedo whatever has to be not so threatening as to be imminently about to end your life so let's just let's just say that the let's just say it's a nasty landlord yeah, let's go to the nasty <laughs> landlord yes because I, I don't think the um vampire blood-sucking pedo rapist is a comedy villain <laughs> james i think far from it i think he's probably the antichrist 
um so yeah whatever 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 story whatever narrative represents all the things that you're anxious worried scared confused about that are out of your control that inevitably it will influence you and the more you let it influence you the more your conscious time is taken up with negative emotions and the worse your life is inevitably going to be think about what you have within your control you have the ability to recognize yourself as different to other people. You have the ability to make choices that are absolutely consequential in your life, from the tiniest thing to the most, the most consequential, the most important stuff in your own life. And you have that ability, you have that, whatever you want to call it, superpower that's getting people motivated. That is the thing that is within your control that you can do. And the only way to live the best life that is the most enjoyable life with the most positive emotions. And we're not we're never talking about a perpetually happy life because happiness is just a fleeting thing that comes and goes. We're talking about a life that is not relentlessly negative. We're talking about a life that is okay with plenty of little bursts of happiness in it. Uh-huh. That's what you're aiming for here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um the only way you're going to get close to that, because as the flow book demonstrates, the, the normal state, if you do nothing, is negative psychic entropy, just having a bad day. The only way you're going to have a good day is if you do something, if you act, if you recognize your thoughts, if you recognize what's out of your control and what's in your control, and that which is in your control, you make good decisions and you don't pursue a constant sort of like negative internal voice and it's not just a case of thinking positive it's all the stuff that we talk about in this podcast which i'm not which we can boil down to the stuff that we talk about in this podcast (laughs) i'm not going to list it all now if you do all that that is what is within your control and that is what is guaranteed to make your life as good as it can possibly be in any given moment and that is what life experience is your consciousness right now And with that concise summary, it's uh, just left for me to say thank you and goodbye from Daniel P. Brown in the Private Practice Podcast. Yes, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye from me, James Hall, in the Private Practice Podcast. Next week, 10 fluffy ways to improve your day. (laughs) 